Young people remember that there are lots of shortcuts in life, and they all look easier, and they all seem to result in immediate gains. But all of them, without fail, lead to eventual hardship and ruin. Trust in the well-marked path. Trust in the narrow uphill road. Yes, it is a little harder. Yes, it is a little longer. But it is the path watched over by God. It is the path that was walked by Jesus. It is the path that leads to life abundant and life eternal. It is the path that leads straight to the gates of the celestial city. Walk it faithfully and do not turn aside. Welcome to Into the Word with Pastor Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. I love that imagery of the narrow way. The old paths often run uphill, but in the long run, they are paths that lead to life. That's a common theme in the wisdom portion of the Bible, and of course, it shows up in the New Testament as well. So here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Proverbs chapter 23. I mentioned in the last episode that the chapter divisions in this section are not terribly helpful. We entered a new collection in chapter 22, verse 17, that runs through to chapter 24, verse 22. Now, ideally, all of that content should be one or two chapters instead of two and a half. Regardless, we're jumping back into what scholars usually refer to as the 30 sayings of the wise. We heard the first five sayings at the end of chapter 22, and we will meet sayings 6 through 18 here in chapter 23. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. I mentioned in the last episode that this entire section, the 30 sayings of the wise, appears to borrow from a famous Egyptian work of wisdom called the Wisdom of Amenemope. That work, too, is divided into 30 sections, and it, too, has a section advising extreme caution in the presence of powerful rulers. He advises his readers to assume that the ruler is always playing you. He has his own motives and his own agenda. He wants information. He wants leverage. He wants control. A wise person will understand that and conduct him or herself accordingly. And we get the same basic counsel here. The wise sage is saying, keep your wits about you. When you sit down at a table with powerful people, do not be overawed by your surroundings. Do not take three of every appetizer that the waiters bring around. Don't stuff anything into your pockets. Just be calm. Look around, gauge the mood, and watch your mouth. Understand the situation and keep your cards close to the vest. This is not some free buffet. This is business. Saying 7 comes to us in verses 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Again, Amenemope says basically the same thing. He says that wealth grows wings and flies away. 
So why weary yourself in pursuit of it? Both inside and outside of the covenant community, there was an awareness in the ancient world that life is about more than money. And money is hard to acquire and even harder to keep. And its ways are mysterious. Some people seem to fall backwards into money, whereas other people do everything right and still never seem to get ahead. Wisdom would seem to suggest that if you work hard and do something useful, you should have enough. But wearing yourself out and doing injury to yourself and your family, trying to get to that next level, trying to become fabulously rich, is a fool's errand. Better to be middle class with a happy family and peace of mind than to die exhausted and frustrated in pursuit of wealth. We meet saying 8 in verses 6, 7, and 8. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Alan P. Ross says here, It is a mistake to accept hospitality from a stingy person, for his lack of sincerity will make the evening unpleasant. Closed quote. I think there's a double warning here. To the person on the receiving end, I think the message is, as Ross says, to be mindful of the fact that if a person isn't really generous, and if they aren't really happy to have you, then the conversation is going to be very awkward, and you are likely to regret the entire experience. To the person on the giving end, I think the message is that if you're going to give, then give cheerfully. Don't invite someone out for dinner and then complain all night about the cost of food. Don't let someone borrow your car and then complain about the price of gas. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, and so do most human beings. So give or don't give, but don't give and then spoil the gift by being a Scrooge. Verse 9 and saying 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. This, of course, reminds us of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6. He said, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Closed quote. The sense there is pretty much identical. One of the things the Bible says again and again and again that we struggle to accept in modern-day evangelicalism is the fact that human beings are responsible for how they hear. If people aren't hearing, we often think the fault lies with us, or with the church, or with the preacher, or even with God. And we forget the parable of the soils. We forget that Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Matthew 10, 14. We forget Psalm 18, 25 to 26, which says, With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you show yourselves pure. And with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Closed quote. According to that psalm, God is as confusing and complicated as he wants to be. He makes things simple and straightforward for the pure of heart, and he makes things torturous and inscrutable for the crooked. Now, you may not like that, but that hardly matters. Jesus said that. Jesus thanked God for that. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, Matthew eleven twenty-five to 26. Jesus loves the fact that God does not make things easy for the proud and rebellious. He puts the cookies on the very bottom shelf so that only the lowly and the poor in spirit, only those bowed down by failure, loss, and hardship can find them. For such was his gracious will. Whether we like it or not, friends, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Few things are taught more frequently and ignored more aggressively than that. Some people are not in a place where they can hear from God. And until that changes, no matter what you do, no matter what the preacher does, no matter whether your church has a smoke machine or not, they will not, cannot, here. Understanding that will save you a great deal of wasted time and effort. Saying 10 is found in verses 10 to 11. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Here again, we're being reminded to respect personal property. You might be able to steal from the poor and the vulnerable, but you should not. The reason given is that God has bound himself to the poor and vulnerable within the covenant community. What you do to them is what you do to him, and he will repay you for good or ill at the final judgment. And of course, that sounds an awful lot like what Jesus said about the final judgment in Matthew 25. He said, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me, Matthew 25, 40. David Atkinson says helpfully here, God is bound in covenant loyalty to his people, especially the poor, closed quote. Old Testament and new, that's important for us to understand. Saying 11 is found in verses 12 to 14. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. The theme here, obviously, is the importance of discipline. A child who refuses to be taught and who can't be corrected is doomed. Parents should do everything they can to teach a child to receive and even appreciate discipline. Boundaries should be embraced. Rebukes should be treasured. Now, obviously, this isn't going to happen initially, but if it doesn't happen eventually, the child is ruined. Understanding this should motivate a parent to commit to the process. Again, it's probably useful here to provide some clarification as to method. Tremper Longman III says helpfully here, The sage is not talking about a rigorous beating, but rather something equivalent to a spanking. This may be surmised from the matter-of-fact statement, They will not die, as well as this book's general emphasis on moderation, kindness, and gentleness. Closed quote. Saying 12 is found in verses 15 to 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Here we are reminded of something most parents know already. Children who respond quickly, easily, and wisely to discipline are a great joy. 
children who refuse, who always have an excuse, who dig their heels in, and who insist on learning everything the hard way are exhausting. Children, if you're listening, your parents are more invested in you than you could possibly understand at this stage in your life. They love you and want nothing more than to equip you with the things you need to succeed. They want to introduce you to Jesus. They want you to trust him as your Lord and Savior. They want you to accept God's word as your standard and truth. They want you to walk on the road that leads to abundant and eternal life. You should listen to them. God put you with these people for a reason. The fact that they are trying so hard to share all of this with you should be taken as an indication of God's mercy. He is giving you every possible opportunity. Take it. Take it now. Take it fast. Take it easy. This is the path. Walk ye in it. Hey, Pastor Paul, I totally resonate with what you're saying here. And I think hearing that two years ago would have depressed me because it seems like every young person in the world was bound and determined to run in the exact opposite direction that their parents and grandparents had been running in. It just felt like everyone was in full deconstruction mode a couple of years ago, both inside and outside the church. But I don't necessarily feel like that anymore. I almost feel like maybe the old ways are making a comeback. Are you getting that sense? Absolutely. There is definitely something going on with young people right now. Last month, we had a group of young adults head down to CrossCon in Louisville, and there were over 11,000 young people at that conference. Young men and women from ages 18 to 25 gave up the last week of their Christmas break to listen to hours and hours of Bible preaching. Mm, Amazing. I heard about that. And didn't they buy something like 47,000 books while they were there? Yeah. And and we're not talking about murder mysteries. (laughs) We're we're talking about books on theology and, and preaching and mission. There is something going on with young people right now in our culture. I think they've gone far enough down these new roads that some of them anyway are interested in coming back and checking out the old ways, the wise ways, the God ways that lead to life. Hmm. Well, praise the Lord for that. I pray that it continues. Yeah, me too. All right, let's jump back into the passage now at verse 17. Saying 13 is found in verses 17 and 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Young people, remember that there are lots of shortcuts in life, and they all look easier, and they all seem to result in immediate gains. But all of them, without fail, lead to eventual hardship and ruin. Trust in the well-marked path. Trust in the narrow uphill road. Yes, it is a little harder. Yes, it is a little longer. But it is the path watched over by God. It is the path that was walked by Jesus. It is the path that leads to life abundant and life eternal. It is the path that leads straight to the gates of the celestial city. Walk it faithfully and do not turn aside. Saying 14 begins with an appeal to pay attention to saying 13. Verse 19. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. 
So here the wise father is reminding the royal son that if he wants to walk on the well-worn path that leads to life, he must choose his traveling companions wisely. Drunkards and partiers come to poverty. They reach their peak in high school, and then it is generally slowly but surely downward into the gutter from there. Don't let them drag you down with them. Be friends with the wise. Be friends with people who work hard. Be friends with those who know and love the Lord. Saying 15 is found in verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. The path of wisdom involves good friendship, as we just talked about, but also solid families. There is multi-generational respect and honor. Of course, how you relate to your parents changes over the span of one's lifetime. David Atkinson says helpfully here, When parents get old, children are no longer asked, first of all, whether they are obedient or disobedient. The question is whether they are considerate to their parents or despise them, whether they are a joy or a sorrow to them. Closed quote. Yes, a wise person typically enjoys a rich friendship with his or her parents in the later years of life. Advice is sought and care is given. In the years and decades ahead, I suspect that this particular aspect of our covenant witness will be particularly attractive to the lost and lonely in our culture. Saying 16 is found in verses 23 to 25 and builds on the instruction just received. It says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. The wise father uses a financial metaphor here. He speaks of truth and wisdom as if they were blue chip stocks. You want to buy them and you want to hold on to them. That's the general idea. If you do that, then your parents will be glad. After all, this is what they've been telling you to do for your entire childhood. Saying 17 is found in verses 26 to 28. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. The emphasis in this section of the collection has been on staying on the right path. The wise father has warned about bad companions and foolish detours, and here he is warning about seductive women. The prostitute is a deep pit. The adulteress is a narrow well. And of course, those are metaphors for danger. Women like that can bring your life to a sudden and unpleasant end. So stay away. Look away. Build a deep and happy marriage of your own. The last saying in this chapter is a longer one, taking up all of verses 29 to 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. 
Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Closed quote. This is an extended saying, of course, about the dangers of drunkenness. You don't need a degree in adolescent psychology to know that, by and large, young men are tempted by women and alcohol. And so the wise father has a fair bit to say about each. Dads, don't be such a prude that you can't talk to your son honestly and frankly about sex. And don't have your head stuck in the sand when it comes to the dangers of alcohol either. Boys, in particular, are going to be curious about these things. They need wisdom. They need teaching. They need boundaries, and they need restraint. And your job is to give it to them. Here, the wise father is delivering a serious warning. He's saying, if you become a drunkard, you're going to have sorrows. You're going to have strife. You're always going to be complaining and fighting. Too much alcohol makes you crazy. It's like swallowing a demon. You lose control of yourself. You get into fights. You jump off of buildings. You run around naked. You become a fool. Why would you do that? You must learn self-control. That's the basic message. Matthew Henry says marvelously here, we are allowed to drink a little wine. He puts in brackets 1 Timothy 5 verse 23. But not much. Not to make a trade of it. Never to drink to excess. Closed quote. He goes on to say, when the wine is in, the wit is out and the passions are up and thence come drunken scuffles and drunken frays and drunken disputes over the cups. Many a vexatious ruining lawsuit has begun thus, closed quote. Exactly that. Wisdom involves recognizing boundaries. Wisdom is about understanding when good things become bad things. Wisdom is about discernment, and discernment does not come preloaded in children. It is something that has to be taught. It is something that has to be and can be passed on from father to son, from mother to daughter, from teacher to disciple. Thanks be to God. And amen to that. Pastor Paul, before we go... I want to circle back to what you said there at the end. I, I feel like we might have touched on this before, but I was interested in what you said about dads having frank conversations with their sons about sex and alcohol. Do you have any advice for dads on how to do that? Because I feel like most dads want to do that, but they just kind of don't know how. Yeah, it's very hard to have good conversations with your teenage kids nowadays. And of course, it's always been hard to do that, but I think it's even harder now because our kids are so often plugged into devices. And while kids have always thought that their parents were absolutely ancient, <laughs> that trend has been exacerbated by the accelerated pace of cultural change over the last 10 to 15 years. The experiences that our kids are having in high school today are not the same as the experiences that you and I had 30 or 35 years ago. But some things will never change because human biology is a very powerful force. Teenage boys will always struggle with sexual temptation, and they will always lack the ability to predict consequences. So it's always going to be necessary and important for dads to provide wisdom and guidance. 
For me, I always found the car to be the best place to have those kind of conversations with my son. My son played high-level soccer, so we were in the car several times a week for extended periods of time. And of course, it was private. There was nowhere for him to go. So I would be patient, but I would also try to steer the conversation in a direction that I wanted to go. Sometimes I would intentionally listen to an audiobook or a podcast, and then I would pause it and ask him what he thought about what he just heard. Uh, did it work? I mean, was he even able to hear it with his headphones on? Actually, it did work. <laughs> Sometimes he would say, oh, I didn't hear that. And then I would rewind it and play it and ask him again, and we'd get into a conversation. And of course, kids like to be asked questions where they get to be the expert. So I would ask him things like, you know, hey, who's that Andrew Tate guy that everyone is talking about? Or what's going on with that drug fentanyl? Is that starting to show up at your high school? And then he'd fill me in, and I'd try to keep the conversation going. Hmm, that's a great idea. I, I like the idea of playing something in the background to try to get the conversation started. I might, in fact, steal that one. Yeah. Well, please do. We need to share whatever works with one another. Absolutely. Well, that's all the time we have for today, friends. As always, if you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 